Good morning, everybody. Really glad you guys are here to worship with us. My name's Alex Barrett, and I'm the, the pastor here of Ridgeview, and we're continuing a series which we started a few weeks ago called The Generous Life, and we've been looking at how would generosity make a difference in our life if we were to live as generous people, and so it starts with kind of our own life as individuals, what would it look like to be generous? And then we're, we've extended that to what would it look like as a church, as God is gathering us together and building his community here in North Montana, what would it mean for us to actually be a generous group of people? And so today we're going to kind of dig down further into that. We're going to look at the scriptures that calls us forward to live this, this type of, of generous life. But before I do that, I want you to think through or think about, I should say, the most generous person that you know. Is there somebody in your life that you've encountered that you would say, this is the most generous person I've ever met? Think about that for a moment. Is there a generous person in your life? Just think about that. Not sure if you have anyone in mind, but this one's mine. This is my grandma. I've talked about her. This is Grand Ruth. She's my grandma who lives in England. She's 95 years old, and she's the most generous person I've ever met. Now, notice I didn't say she's the richest person because she's not the richest, but she's by far the most generous. She lives in England. I used to live in England, and so she's my British grandmother, and she used to have a jar always at her house filled with sweeties. I can't say sweetie without a British accent, but that's basically candy. Grandma would always have a candy jar that was always full, and we didn't have to ask. We knew exactly where it was, and we could just go to this jar and grab a sweetie anytime we wanted. And so my, my view of her and generosity kind of started at a really young age. This is the grandma that just gave me candy. Now, you grandmas out there, you're like, that's right. That's the role that you want to play. Now, moms, you're like, no, oh, good. Why do they? But fill them with sugar, hand them off, and leave, right? But she, she also did many other things. Like, we were just there uh, two months ago, and always with her, wherever she goes, she has this purse, and in her purse is plastic bags, and in plastic bags are treats, she carries them with her at all times. We're just sitting down to eat, and she brings out more food that we have as like an appetizer. She's always prepared. She's handing candy off and bags and food and everything to, to the whole family, and that's just the way that she lives. She never comes empty-handed. When we moved here to North Montana to start Ridgeview Church, she paid for our first month's rent. And that was a lot of money for her. She's, she doesn't make any money. She's on this fixed income. It's small but she's that type where she sees an opportunity. She always opens her hands and extends it to the lives of other people. And because of that, she has this impact on me. She has an impact on hundreds of people because she lives the generous life. And that's the kind of life we're talking about. This kind of life where you realize you've been given resources, you've been given skills, you've been given talents, you've been given money, and you're willing to open your hand to extend that into the lives of others. And I want to connect the dot here, which may seem like it shouldn't need to be connected. But many times, generosity, especially in today's age, it's like an idea. We want to be generous people, just like we want to be loving people. You just say, you just need to be generous, or you just need to be loving. But sometimes we fail to see what that means. When you decide to follow Jesus Christ, generosity actually moves beyond an idea or a nice term. It actually moves to action. You take a step towards something. You take a step towards giving. And so I want to start with this thought and then build under that. Generous people 
are giving people. Makes sense, right? Makes complete sense. But the idea is the generous idea as a term has to translate into that action. And you truly become generous, not when you think about generosity, not when you look at generosity, but when you actually live generously, when you actually give. And so generous people are giving people. There's actually been lots of studies done on what happens to people when they shift from this idea of just getting to giving, when they kind of shift their life to what would it mean if I was to actually give to people continuously and always look for opportunities. And they've done studies in science. They've done study in the social studies and in in psychology and in social work. And what they found is that there's actually scientific proof that when you give, your brain chemicals function and like more happiness enters your system. They call it this phenomenon called the giving glow. Now, you don't necessarily glow, but it's this idea of when you give, you're a part of something that's outside of yourself, and you extend it beyond you. And when you see that what you do blesses other people, it does something in your brain that it doesn't do unless you give. And it's this kind of adrenaline, this excitement, and and this happiness. And what they found is that this this kind of giving um, has health benefits as well. Giving people tend to have lower blood pressure. Giving people tend to have less depression, lower stress levels, longer life, and a greater happiness. Now, you've maybe said, are we having a seminar today? This doesn't sound like, here's the proof of, but I want to just paint this picture that this idea of the generous life and the giving life, what I'm also describing is the blessed life. We all want happiness and we all want blessing, but it's counterintuitive because most of the time when we want these things, we want longer life, we want lower stress, we tend to think it means we have to control more so we get it. Actually, when you decide to follow Jesus, it's the opposite. It's actually when you let go of control and you allow God to use you and have access to every part of your life and you let control go, that it starts to have an impact that you could not have if you just kept control, if you kept that tight And so that's what I want to describe today. Generous people experience lasting joy in life. I want to talk a little bit about the attitude behind giving and the approach, and then give some like specific ways that we today can leave here with, here I am, here's my attitude, here's my approach, what's my next step? And so I want to read a passage to you and then kind of walk through. This is from the New Testament And it's in 2 Corinthians 9, it says this. The point is this, so the point of giving. That's what he's talking about previously. There's a collection that needs to be made. So here's the point of giving. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Then it goes on in verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. If you could go back to the previous verses, I just want to spend a few minutes talking about each one of these. Again, this is the idea that generous people experience this lasting joy, and this scripture describes some keys to that. And so I just want to unpack those uh, for us this morning. So going back to verse 6, you see this idea of sowing sparingly, reaping sparingly, sowing bountifully, reaping. And there's this connection to giving and getting. And some of that is actual 
when you give, you get it back. And some of it's describing this blessing. Some of it's describing this joy that comes when you extend yourself, when you, when you give. And Paul is, is talking about this uh, in 2 Corinthians. Uh, generosity is, is proportional. That's what he's describing. It's, it's the more you give, the, the more you get back from God, the more he takes care of you. The more you risk, the more of you return you have, specifically in, in, your, in your giving. This it's not, a, it's not a formula, but this is how God's economy works. It's tied to our faith. It's tied to our resources. It's tied to the amount that we kind of extend our hand, allow God's resources to, to flow through it. Sparingly, that word right there is, is very interesting. Um, it actually means thrifty. Now, how many of you would consider yourself like a thrifty or a frugal person? It's okay. I'm not going to like throw you under the bus right now. I, I would I consider myself that person. Anytime I go anywhere, I Google a coupon for that place. Every time. In fact, I got my haircut on Friday, and I, in the haircut place, I can't pay full price for this. I'm Googling my coupon. Great clips. They're out there. Okay? So I Google it. My phone's at 1%, and I'm seeing the line. And I'm calculating the time of my haircut. I'm thinking, what if my coupon, and it was for five bucks off. I mean, we're talking like that's big money on a haircut, especially for men, right, guys? Women, it's like $300 for a haircut. That's five is not much. But, but for us, like, that's, that's a great deal. And so my phone is at 1%. And I'm, I'm, so I, I, she calls me for it. And I'm like, I got a $5 coupon. My phone's on 1%. Did you see it? She's like, I saw it. I'm like, good. <laughs> and when I went to pay for it, my phone didn't work. And I was so glad that I let her see that. All that to say, it's okay if you're thrifty. That's how I am. Just because I'm, it doesn't mean it's okay, but it's okay to be thrifty. But what Paul's describing here is the only place you don't want to be thrifty is in generosity. Sparse is another way to translate that word. If you want to be thrifty and you want to cut people out, that will be returned to you. You could still be blessing, but your blessing will not be as bountiful. And the word bountiful there is the opposite. It's this idea of praise and blessing. It's actually where we get the word eulogy from. It's eulogia. And it's this idea of this praise and blessing that you would give at somebody's funeral. It's a blessing. And if you give bountifully, it's this idea of it's this blessing that extends beyond your life. If you give and you're generous, you can extend yourself beyond your life to bless those around you. That's what Paul's saying. It's, it's all tied together. So you want to sow in this, this bountiful way. And then in verse 7, I love how he shifts gears. Because he's saying it's, it's all tied together. And he's pointing us to this idea of bountiful and giving and, and be moved to action. But then he also knows as soon as you start to think about money, what starts to happen? It, it, but, oh, you know, you get tight. It says, oh, goodness, that's my stuff. I, you know, that's how we are. And that's okay. God meets us where we are. But notice, it goes from this action, sparingly bountiful, to then our, our attitude. And that's when it's related to giving and most important matters of life. There's always the action and there's the attitude behind it or the heart, what should drive us. And this is what he says in 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so the generous life is a decision that you make. I am going to be a generous person. You don't waffle in that decision. You take a step and you say, I'm going to take this step to be generous in this way. 
and you're not wishy-washy. There's a plan, and I'm going to do it. That's what, what he's saying is each one must decide, make a decision, cross the line, and follow through. And then notice he says what he's deciding in his heart. No one can force you, guilt you, shame you into giving. How many of you, if you go to a church just like this and they start talking about giving, you kind of freak out? Because you may have grown up, but it's like, all right, everyone, stand up. Pull out your wallet and throw it in. We'll get it back to you in the new year. Right? That's all our fear. Like, oh, I got to. But if you look at the scripture, anytime you're guilted or shamed, there's no change there. There's no life there. That's not what God wants us to do. We decide in our heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This word, cheerful, um, is actually where we get the word hilarious from. Uh, the, the word is hilaros. And he's describing giving as hilarious. Now, I've never given really in my life and been just like dying of laughter. Right? Sometimes you give and you're like, you actually may want to cry. Don't leave me, you know. It's, like it's gone and you just... But, but the picture here is, is this idea of thrilled about the opportunity to give. That's what cheerful means. Thrilled about the opportunity to give. There's this intersection of an opportunity and your resources, and God gives you a chance to give to that. And there's this thing that wells up in you where it's saying, I wanna do this. I wanna act here. I wanna take this step. And it fills you with this movement towards extending your resources to others. There's this joy of giving. There's this cheer that fills your heart that's not moved by guilt that's not moved by shame, because that actually doesn't change us anyways. It never does. We can conform, but we can't transform. So Paul's describing this bountiful giving that you can give that comes when you decide in your heart to take this step. And when you take those steps, God comes through for you, and this is what he describes in verse 8. Verse 8 says this, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Notice how many times in that sentence, does he write all? God is able to make all, one, grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency, two, in all things, three, and in all times, four, you may abound in every good work. So what he's saying is if you extend yourself for others, and you extend your resources, and you give, and you're generous, God has your back. You're actually in his world now. Because if you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about God being the first and most generous giver. If you move towards giving and you move towards generosity, God's saying, welcome, this is how I am. Welcome, this is how I act. This is what I do. And so we're on his terms in his world here. And notice it started with an action, verse six. Then it was the attitude in verse seven. And now in verse eight, it's this promise. If you do what he's called you to do, he will make grace abound to you. His grace is kindness to you. It's favor to you. He's looking out for you. It's this idea, when you extend yourself and you follow through with what God calls you to do, he will take care of you. He is watching. And he's got you covered. That is the promise that we all need because as soon as we start thinking of our resources, our time, our money, our energy, any of this, it's, it's we want to protect. 
And God's saying, if, if, if you don't protect and you trust me here, I will protect. And I don't know about you, but I would rather have God protecting me than myself, right? His security system is much better than mine. But he will, he will take care. Now, I want to shift gears into what this looks like practically. Last week, we looked at this stewardship pie. Last week, we talked about how we live as people entrusted. God is the owner. He's the owner of everything. And because of that, he's entrusted us with his resources. And we actually have a life filled with the resources given by God that we have something to do with them. Now, we may earn our money ourselves. And some of you, you work super hard. And, you know, God is watching you in that. And he's pleased when you're diligent. But in our hard work, it doesn't mean that it's all ours. In fact, the reason we can work hard is because you have life to work hard. You have energy to work hard. And how do you have life and how do you have energy? It flows from the hand of God. This is the Christian framework. This is the Christian worldview. Everything that we do and everything that we are and every person is wired together by God in his image. And the reason that we can be blessed by giving is because that's how he made us. And so here in this stewardship pie, this is like a practical way how we can live as entrusted people. And last week we talked about you can live off of 70%. If you live off of 70 as one entrusted, then there's opportunity to extend your resources in other places. You can give 10. You can save 10. And you can give 10% towards debt. Or if you're paid off debt, you can invest 10 Now, for many of us, we have just one color, and it's life. It's not live. It's just life. And it's easy just to live off of 100% because that's what we've always done. If that's where you are, that's okay. But if you live off of 100%, how much percent do you have to give and to be generous with? Zero. You got good job. All, again, that word all or 100% means that it's just ours. There's actually nothing to give. And so to be able to give means that you have to shift. And so that's what we talked about last week. If you missed it, you can listen online. So I'm not going to spend a ton of time. But today, I want to talk practically about this pie here, the giving. Whatever percentage that is for you, I want to talk about the step that you can take, where you are to take the next step of generosity. And then I want to close with what it would look like. And so here's some steps towards the generous life. Now, I'm specifically speaking to giving to Ridgeview Church. And so I just want to get this out of the way. If you're new to Ridgeview Church or Ridgeview Church is not your church, do not feel compelled that this means you have to give to Ridgeview Church. Actually, you don't have to give anywhere. Because again, if you've not decided in your heart to do it, then your heart's not in it. It's not going to be blessing to you. But for those of you who Ridgeview is your church, Ridgeview's helped you, you're helping people in Ridgeview, this is to you. This is what does it mean to live as somebody who gives and gives to this local group called the church. In the Old Testament, the command was to give to the storehouse. That was the temple. And the storehouse is where things were stored to take care of God's people and God's work. The Levites were a group of people that worked for God and didn't have their own inheritance, so God's people were to come together and give so they would have it. In the New Testament, the temple that is translated really the, the church. So we don't, we don't go to the temple, but we go to this church, and the same principle applies. 
you give to the local church so that God's work can be accomplished. So whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, there's always this assumption that God's people, there's three things. We're committed. God's people, you're committed. You're committed to God, and you're committed to obeying what he says. That's what it means to follow him. If you're a Christ follower, it means like, I'm committed. I'm going to do whatever Jesus tells me to. That's what it means to be a Christian. So that commitment is the big umbrella. We're committed to the Lord Jesus. We're committed to a new way of life. From that commitment, there's two key components to your involvement in church. The first is this. To be a committed Christian right here and right now means that you are connected, another seat. You're committed, but you're also connected, and you're connected to a local group of people. That means there's a group of people that know you and you know them. Just like generosity, it's not vague, it's specific. And here at Ridgeview, what we've seen over time is God bringing us those people that they're saying, this is where I want to connect. This is actually where I want to commit. This is the group of people that I want to band with, to tribe with, to move towards the future together. And that's what God does. He builds his church. So out of commitment, we connect. We build relationships. We love each other. We serve each other. We sacrifice for each other. That's what God's people are to do. The second C, under commitment, is we contribute. Not only are we connected relationally, we contribute with our resources. And that contributing flows from the connecting, but it's this idea, I have this local group that I know them, they know me, and I have a piece of this. There's a part of me in this group, and it actually, it, there's a cost. But that cost is not a burden on me. This cost is part of this cheerful blessing that I get to be a part of this. And so I'm talking to to you people who, like, this is what you want to be a part of here at Ridgeview. Now, even if you're still sorting, that's okay. We want people to take their time. We, We know God meets you where you are, and he'll take you on that next step. God has the power to do that. So wherever you are, I hope this gives you a picture. Here's where I am, and here's my next step, and it's going to be different for different people. So here's some steps towards the generous life. I'm going to start with this first category. This is the easy one. The first step, put it on there. Go ahead, non-giver. Okay, this is the person that you you just don't give yet. It doesn't necessarily mean to rid you. It could just mean you don't really give to anything. This is, your life is that 100%. You're just living off of 100% of what you make. Now, if you're a non-giver, that's okay. Again, God meets you there. I wanna share this video of a picture of this that I saw from this Halloween that you may have seen on social media. Let's watch that. Aww, that was really nice, Jackson. Let's go, Mike. We're next kids. There you go. Danielle's like, nah, I want that one. Thank you guys. That just let all right. This is one of those, like, this is I think a newer practice somewhat. This is where the bowl is open access for trick or treaters. When I was a kid, man, that thing was guarded, <laughs> and this is the reason why. What you had is you have this bowl that the people put out there, and it's just like you can just come and take. Well, by the time this boy got there. He had a group of non-giving people. What did they do? 
They just took. They consumed. And he came up and he saw the bowl. And at first he's like, oh no, like there's none for me to take. He experienced a group of non-givers. There was none left. It was takers and takers and takers. There was none left. And then that part where he saw people coming and he reached in his bag and he put it in the, the bowl. That's like a beautiful picture. But the reason I want to show you that is not because of that, but it's this idea of if all of us stayed the same as non-givers, what would be in the bowl? Nothing. And it'd be a terrible trick-or-treating time for all of us, right? So this idea of non-giving, it's okay to recognize, like, this is where I am. You know, he reached in, and he put some in. And then he reached in again. He put some in. And then he went on his way, and you saw how he was like, there, I did it. I helped. And that's the picture. That's where God wants. He wants to meet us where we are, but he doesn't want to leave us the same. That's this picture. So non-giver, that makes sense. You're a non-giver. Here's the, here's the next step. You, you might be a sporadic giver. This was me for a lot of my childhood and college life. I never had a plan for giving. I never thought about giving. It was kind of like if there was an opportunity and I happened to have money at that time, I would do it. But it was sporadic. It wasn't planned, and I didn't think much about it. In college, this was me. It was just, I just did what I wanted to do, and it was just sporadic. And it's kind of like when you go to a store, and they give you an amount, and you're just, like, looking for that change, and then you're like, anyone else got, like, you just, you need that seven cents. And that's this idea of, you're just kind of trying to find whatever you have, and you put it in. Now, sporadic giver, you've taken a step, because you give. That's a step towards the generous life, giving sporadically. The next level is a regular giver. This is actually a command that Jesus gave to, to those who give. And he commanded to give, and this is what he said in Luke 6, 38. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, does this sound familiar? It's that same idea of that sowing sparingly, reaping sparingly, sowing bountifully reap. Jesus commanded this. Actually, he said this before Paul wrote his letter in 2 Corinthians, which I read earlier. So Jesus is saying is give, do it. Decide to do it. And it will be given back to you. So he's using some imagery here, again, of this proportional giving, which I'm going to talk about next. But the, pic- the picture is this, like a teaspoon. If you have a teaspoon or a cup, sorry, a cup of money. Now, this like looks one of those things you want on your dresser. You guys know what I mean? Like, guys, any of you have like, like that change cup in your house? Yeah, you just, you just like love to put it in there. And then you love that time where you can just kind of like cash it out for whatever it is. We used to have this vacant. I'm just not even going to waste time. I'm just, going, I'm just going down a road I don't need to go down. I'm all nostalgic here. But this is a cup, cup of giving. Now, it's not a truck. Now, there's a picture of that. Now, this is totally Photoshopped, right? Like, that's totally Photoshopped but you get the picture. What Jesus is saying is, there's a tendency in all of us where, go back to the cup, we give this amount, but in the blessing, we want the truck amount. Go back to that, right? You get what I'm saying? And Jesus is saying it actually doesn't work like that. If you give a cup, God will give you a cup, but it won't just be cup. You know what it's gonna be? It'll be a cup that's overflowing. It'll be a cup that's overflowing. If you give a teaspoon, 
It's not just going to be a teaspoon. It's going to be an overflowing teaspoon. If you give a truck, what's it going to be coming back to you? Overflowing truck. But you see that part in all of us where it's like, God, I've given you the teaspoon. Back up the truck. <laughs> Jesus is saying that's, that's actually just not how it works. You know why? Because if you give a teaspoon, you, that's where your faith is. It means that that's the part where you are releasing that amount. And if you have the faith to release that amount, you actually only have the faith to receive that amount. It's actually, you, you can't handle that. So God's actually looking out. There's this proportion to the faith that we have, the giving and the receiving. But most of the time, we just tie it to, I want to receive it. But Jesus says, well, I'm paying attention to how you're giving it. Does that make sense? So that's that idea of regular giving different amounts. The next step towards the, the generous life is being a proportional giver. Now, this is where you, you actually pick a percentage. This is in terms of 1 Corinthians 16. It says this. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. I, I added that proportional, but that's what proportional is. It's in keeping with his income, you set aside a sum of money. So this idea of whatever amount you make, you choose a percentage that you're going to give. And the emphasis in this scripture is you, you do that first on the first day of every week. And so in this situation, this person's getting paid every week. And so as they're getting paid... What they're getting is translating what they're going to give. And you set it aside. It's this idea like I'm going to choose to give first. Because if you choose to live or do all this other stuff first, it whittles down the amount you can give. And so on the first day of every week, like in the beginning, you decide I'm going to give this amount, whatever percentage that is. And so I encourage you from the non-giving sporadic giving to the regular giving, if that's where you are, a great step is to move to that proportional, like I'm gonna give a percentage. Some of the time what we have to do is we have to take some of the guesswork out of our giving. Whether you're a planner or not, there's just a sense in which like I want to do that. I need to do that. But until you decide or you pick, like this is what I'm gonna do, you've not made that decision in your heart. And if you haven't made that decision in your heart, there's that waffling. There's that guesswork, and life hits you. You know you're never going to feel like you have enough to give. Isn't that the way it works? You never feel like you have enough. And God knows that. And so what he's doing, he's saying, he's saying like, that's faith. You can't know. But you decide and then allow God to work. So this is this picture. So this proportion is like, I'm going to choose this percentage, and I'm going to start there. And then the next is becoming a tither. And becoming a tither is actually the literal translation of what tithe means. It's 10%. So proportional is you choose a percentage. A tither is the percentage you choose is 10. That goes back to that stewardship pie. And this is linked, and I'm not going to spend a ton of time here, but this is actually linked to the Old Testament covenant that God established with the people, the Israelites, his people. So I want to briefly just describe that. Leviticus 27, it says, a tithe from everything Tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil. Actually, could you go back a second? A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. It goes back to this idea of God is the creator. He is the owner. God actually doesn't need our resources or our money. Here, it was part of the land. That's how they made their money. It wasn't in coins. It was like the fruit of your labor. 
The fruit of our labor is actual money. But God doesn't need it. But this is this establishment of God of creator and him being giving. He's giving us this picture of since everything belongs to him, the percentage, the tenth, reminds us of that, that that we're indebted to him. And we actually don't have to give 100%. He allows us to live and he allows us to enjoy fun things and enjoy life and give to other things and save and all that. But at the end of the day, it's this reminder of like, he is the creator. He is over all. And later in the book of Malachi, uh, we see instructions on the tithe as well. And Malachi was a prophet who came about 450 years before Christ. And he was calling God's people to obedience. And he was specifically talking to them about what they were doing with their resources. And this is what he says in verse 3, 8, and 9. Will a man rob God? So that question, usually you want to answer, no, a man shouldn't rob God. We know that, but it goes on. Yet you rob me. That's when you're like, "Uh uh-oh, there's a problem. You don't want to be accused of robbing God. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. And if I was just to end it there, it's like, all right, guys, so have a great week. It's a real low point. But then he goes on. And again, this now goes back to the promise. And it says, bring your whole tithe into the storehouse. Again, that's like the temple, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. So this is the first place in Scripture because they were actually commanded, God's people, the Israelites, you do not test the Lord your God. The testing there is, as a parent, I know some of you guys are parents, some of you guys are teachers. It's like when you tell your student or you tell your kid, you need to go to bed. And they say something like, but I don't want to go to bed. Do I have to go to bed? And you, you just give them that look like, what did I just say? I'm not going to negotiate. The problem is kids know, actually, if they keep nagging you long enough, you're like, okay, step. And that's why they do it, Right? But God's saying, like, you, you don't test me. What I do, you, you say. You're my people. I'm looking out for you. Obey me. But in this area, this is the one area where he says, you can test me. Isn't that interesting? As soon as you start talking about money and our resources and our time, the things that are so scarce for us, we tend to freak out. We tend to struggle. So God's saying, this people, thousands of years ago, is like, look, do what I say and see what happens. Test me. I will provide for you. I will take care of you. I will meet you where you're at, and I will multiply what you give. It's a sense of, again, he's watching, and he's going to take care. And so that's, that's the Old Testament. Now, in the New Testament, there's actually a shift because we're not under the Old Covenant. This is the Old Covenant, the law. There's actually a a new covenant for those who follow Christ today, Christians. And the covenant is held together by the blood of Jesus Christ. So we're actually not under the the old law. But notice, Jesus, when he came, he said, like, I didn't come to abolish. I didn't come to forget. I've come to fulfill. And so the Old Testament, that's why we still read it today. It has this sense of God working in history. We have this sense of the commands, his character, 
And that serves the foundation of our faith. So it's important. And Jesus came to say, hey, listen, I'm coming from this. God sent me. And the same God who was interacting get to the heart of things. And so he talked about giving as well. Matthew 23, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. Notice he's coming after the religious leaders. Woe to you. Shame on you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Now notice, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Again, Jesus' role was to always cut to the heart. And notice here, we're talking about tithing, this tenth. But if you see what Jesus is saying is here, it's not just about this percentage. It's again about the heart. It's about this extension of meeting God where he is and allowing him to use you. And the religious leaders, they'd stop doing that. They've basically said, we've decided we'll do this. We'll practice this law. There was this legalism, so we're okay. And then we could just treat people however we want because we've, we've given. So in a way, they're saying like, it's okay. I can do whatever I want, but as long as I've given. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. You need to live the right way. You need to love the right way. You need to have grace, mercy. That's who I am. You need to practice that. But notice at the end, but also not neglecting. Not neglecting, there's giving that we need to do. And so that's, that's where this, this focus on this 10% and the, the tithe is. But there's also a new category under the new covenant. And that's generosity beyond the tithe. If we've been given this grace that abounds to us, like described in 2 Corinthians, and I've described it as this treasure chest of God's riches. We have this treasure chest that's full and it doesn't end. We can't find the bottom to it. What Jesus is saying is, is as you practice these things and you don't neglect the giving, I will actually take you to these new heights of the generous life. If you follow me and the grace that you receive, the generous life will be far more just beyond this percentage that you've set. It will be this way of living where you're looking for opportunity and opportunity and you're willing to extend your resources and you're willing to surrender and sacrifice. So we can get stuck on just our plan And what Jesus calls us to is is these opportunities to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. That's the generous life. Paul, in the verses after the ones I read you earlier, says this, "Now now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result and thanksgiving to God. I love this. Again, he who supplies will take care of you. He'll take care of me. Not only in material possessions, but also in the sense of righteousness, like we will be made whole. We will live a different type of life. And out of that different type of life, we can continue to be more generous. So notice it's just this like ever-ending cycle, like, As you're giving, God provides. And as God provides, what do you do? You give. And as you give, what does God do? He provides. And then what do you do? Let's just keep going. Wait, no, uh, I'm done. But you get the point. It's this just unending cycle of this generosity that can overflow out of our hearts. Now, he describes this as you're being made rich in every way. Now, 
If you're in a, you live in this country, you're rich. Compared to the rest of the world, you're rich. If you own a car or you have a car or you've driven in a car, you're rich. If you have a roof over your head, you're rich. If you have three meals a day, guess what I'm going to say? You're rich. So as people in this country, we are rich compared to the world. We don't think that, but it's true. The amount of wealth that we can just have access to anytime we want, even if it's not much, it's still more than most other countries in the world and people. But here he's describing the Christ follower and, and their richness. This is this idea of you're, you're rich even more so. You're rich because God has filled you with a grace that's not of your own. And he's filled you with these riches of his love that's not your own. And so not only do we have more than most people, but if you're a Christ follower, you have what the rest of the world is longing for. You have the love of Jesus Christ, and that love transforms. And so the generous life is not just materialism. The generous life is like I'm willing to surrender my life to bless others because of what God has given me. And that's what we get to be a part of. And so if you're not yet a follower of Christ, I hope this gives you a picture that there, there's a sense of this overflowing fountain of goodness that God wants to give to you through the person of Jesus. And as he gives to you, this will fill your life and you can extend it to others. And I want to close with a couple questions. And we're going to be wrapping up and Joel is going to actually kind of walk through some next steps today. Just some things that you can take. But I want to tie it back to where I began. Generous people are giving people. And there's two questions. The first one is this. How could God use you if you were to grow in generosity? You, specifically. How could God use you? Think about the different lives that you intersect with, your coworkers, your family, your neighbors, people that you see, people that you interact with. How could God use you if you were to grow in generosity? And the second question is this. What could God do through Ridgeview Church if we were to grow in generosity? So again, as the individual, God wants to work in us. As a church, God wants to work through us. And so what could God do through our church? Already, we've seen the generosity of people who've come alongside us and given so that we can exist. When you're a church and you can function, there are many generous people behind that, people who've extended themselves. Here's a few things that we've done that many of you have been able to be a part of. We've had a sports camp this summer. Over 100 kids participate in that. Without resources, you can't do this. Two weeks ago, we had a trunk retreat. I think there's a pic of that. All those families. We had a movie night. I think there's a pic of that that followed it. This was completely free for the community. Do you know to give something free means you have to have it to give? And the only way you have it to give is if people give. So you have it to give. See, it's the same thing. We can give as people give. And as people give, we can give. And then it just continues. And so as a church, the same thing. 
Uh, we've also experienced growth as a church, and this is the really fun stuff. When we started, um, that was our preschool one day. We had one preschooler. Man, look at that space. Man, we were ready. We had one preschooler. And then I think the next pick that you saw already, that's it today. When we started, we had a few older kids. There's a pick of that. That's them working outside under an easy up. And then today, this is what it looks like. And they're packed in half the classroom here because this is preschool over here now. And then here's a picture of the slide. This is one of my favorite pictures. This is at a park. That's kind of what our kids' zone looks like right now. All right, guys, pick a seat on slide. Uh, the reason I show this is that we, these events and in kids' zone, these represent lives. And to reach people means you're, you're reaching lives. And as a church, we have an opportunity to do that. And the more resources we have, the more people we can, we can reach. And the more people we can reach, the more people we can bless. And we can pull them towards and show them the riches of God's grace. And lives can change. And that's what it comes down to. We want to live the generous life so God can use us to reach people. Because God loves them. He wants to have a relationship with them. And he wants them to experience this grace, which will give them all sufficiency in all things. And so I just wanted to thank all of you who've given to Ridgeview Church so far. You guys have made such a difference. If this was just me, you'd just be sitting all on the floor, and we'd be singing Kumbaya. That's all about what we could do. We've had people who've given their, their skills and their, their talents, and they've given their, their money and their resources, and God's building something really special. So thank you for all of you who've extended yourself. I can't wait to see what God does as we continue to grow and more people say, this is the place that I want to be a part of. I want to commit, I want to connect, and I want to contribute. So as your pastor, I can't wait to see what God does. We're on an adventure together. So I want to invite Joel up in the band. We're going to close out our service, and I'm going to pray. Joel's going to ask you to, to pull out this card and I actually just want you to, to do that right now just because of time. Joel's going to walk you through this. But I want you to actually take a step. This is kind of part of that test. Like, test God. Is there a step that you can take towards the generous life? And Joel will walk you through that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. Your grace, which transforms us. Your provision, which takes care of us and your love which moves us forward. God, thank you for the work that you're doing in our church, for the people who are banded together so that we can reach people, we can love people, we can serve this community. God, you are holding us together, and you hold us together out of your own generosity. And the fact that you gave your son Jesus to die so that we may have life, and we can have life through the grace of your son. So God, fill us with your grace so that we may realize and recognize so much of what we've been given so that we can pass that on to those around us. God, wherever we are, we know that you meet us. Will you call us forward to take our next step? We need your power to do that. We need your power to change. And we ask that in the name of Jesus Christ.